Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we are speaking to Stuart Podmore, who will be talking to us about behavioural finance. In this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Stuart Podmore, Investment Propositions Director at Schroders. We will discuss how human behavioural traits can lead investors to take suboptimal decisions and outline how these can be overcome, delivering the potential for outperformance. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk slash podcasts. Here is our conversation with Stuart. So many thanks for joining us today, Stuart, to talk about behavioural finance. So I think the first question is, what is behavioural finance? Very good question indeed, Michelle. I mean, when you think about what behavioural finance is, essentially it's the application of a psychological understanding, cognitive understanding, learning, knowledge and human beings, and then how that influences their perspective on finances, and in particular investment from our point of view. Uh, but it can be broadened out into other aspects of financial services and financial planning. And I, I guess the, the implication there is that because of these human biases, because of these behavioural biases as they are known, uh, they can intervene, they can undermine, and they can lead humans to make what we would describe as suboptimal decisions. Of course, as we all know, it's very difficult as a human being to remain rational at all times. Absolutely. So we we think this is particularly important because rather than just treating behavioural finance as a detached and, and separate academic field of study, which, by the way, we should remember has been around for 60 years plus, uh, I, th- I think it's useful and particularly pertinent at the moment for uh, financial advisors, financial planners, uh, general insurers, for example, those selling a certain types of protection to understand or at least have a, a basic understanding of the subject uh, and therefore be able to apply some of the insights to the client interaction that they experience. Okay. Um, And why is it important right now? Well, another excellent uh, question. When I think back, uh, where are we now? We're about, what, 11 years since the global financial crisis. It's been a tough decade plus. And uh, I think that's very much in the psyche of many of our clients. They still remember how that felt. They are still living in some instances with the impact of that. But actually, when you look at the global economy, uh, we've endured. We, we've enjoyed, I would argue, to a degree, uh, what you might describe as the square root of uh, recovery. You know, we saw that significant drop to global growth. We saw uh, economies falling into recession, and now we've sort of been bumbling along at two and a half or three percent. And uh, it's particularly important now because I think we are now starting to come towards or approach the end of this this next stage of the business cycle. And the reason why I think people should pay a little bit more attention to behavioural finance once again, is that as we reach the end of that business cycle, there is more propensity or a greater chance of disappointment in markets. Okay, That's a fancy way of saying we could be heading towards falling markets. People could be experiencing with their financial advisors conversations that talk about losses rather than necessarily just looking at everything going up. And I, I think in particular recent history here about 2018, you know, stocks and bonds lost lost money in terms of index levels. You know, we were looking at double digit losses in 2018. It was a painful year. Sure. And I think it reminds people when, when things don't go so well, it reminds you of some of the fundamentals. Okay. I mean, it's not just a buzzword, is it? Probably people hear this a lot this term, and but you think people get it? I think it's a really good point, actually. It's very easy to 
to talk about behavioural finance and throw it into client conversations. Uh, for the, I would argue that the the better or the or the best financial advisors, financial planners out there, they, those are the people who are capable of understanding it, not necessarily getting bogged down in the detail of the academic study or empirical studies, but being able to take what they have learned from what they've read or what they've studied and then apply it to a client environment. I think there's another point here as well. This is, I said, I've explained why I think it's important right now, but it's also worth adding that a good understanding and a good grasp of behavioral finance as a subject, and even then a good practical application of it, Mm -hmm. is not necessarily going to be the silver bullet that leads you to the promised land in terms of client relationships. Sure. But I remain convinced that it's going to take you a long way towards that. So I guess, I mean, that sort of ties into this, you know, where is the value in like understanding it, you know, when you've got that client sort of in front of you? Yeah. Um, what, what would you say about that? Well, um, the value, I think, is it goes back to what I said about markets. You know, we, we potentially are entering more volatile times, uh, turbulent waters, and that's where its value is really felt because you can remind clients about why they made decisions in the first place. That's not to say to them, oh, look, I told you so. You should have listened to me. I told you this would happen. It's not really that. It's not any kind of schadenfreude here. It's more about reminding them about why you put that plan together. Mm-hmm. And uh, talking to financial advisors, uh, for the, the most part, you know, they're putting plans into place for various life stages for everybody. And, and, and it pays to think about that in the long term. So it's a good opportunity for them to remind clients about why they've taken certain decisions. In other words, to take them away from the behavioral bias uh, and some of the emotion and get get them grounded in, in what is logical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Daniel Kahneman, um, when he when he developed his uh, his theories around uh, behavioral finance and some of his empirical conclusions, uh, he really talked about improving people's ability to understand errors of judgment and choice. Okay. And then he said, actually, what he wanted to try and do was help them, help guide them through that journey. It was almost as if it was a, a cognitive minefield that they were passing through. I see that as the financial planner. I see the financial planner guiding the client through the cognitive minefield, preventing that client from falling into some of those behavioral bias traps where, mm-hmm. for example, they end up selling into a very low market and losing money, crystallizing losses. Okay, so if we can delve into that a little bit more deeply. So sure. um, I come into you tomorrow, the financial planner, and I say, you know, and I want to you know, speak to you about my sort of finances. What can that, on a practical level, what can that financial planner or advisor do with um, behavioural finance when, when they're sat there? Yeah, so um, if, you're, if you're coming to me as an existing client or even as a prospective client. I think it's more the case with an existing client. So I'll take, I'll, I'll take that first one. Those existing clients are coming to their financial advisors right now and saying, well, I've lost some money. Mm-hmm. And of course, the immediate emotional desire there is to sell. Sure. I'm panicking. I, I want to sell. And actually, behavioral finance is a field of study. And some of the best value investors as practitioners of behavioral finance would say that's just the point when you should buy. Okay. And be selective, of course, not mm-hmm. not just simply blanket buy, but buy companies that are cheap and that you think can turn themselves around. That's what it's about. Uh, so I think I think from that point of view, it's overcoming that fundamental flaw. That relates to something that's described by Kahneman and Tversky and other academics as being uh, loss aversion. Okay. For new clients, I think it's about setting up the longevity of that plan and covering off the challenges of behavioral bias pitfalls, just talking about them. Asking the client what makes he or she tick, uh, and and making a good, accurate record of that upfront. Now, there's certain things we can help with um, in terms of the material that we've produced, some of the presentations that we deliver, and we can share some of those practical steps. One of which is about taking a very basic uh, test that we've produced. 
okay. um, uh, which is called the uh, Schroeder's Invest IQ test. And uh, clients can take take a look at this on schroeders.com slash invest IQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that puts together a series of questions around finances, around broader life, and tries to flush out some of the biases that might exist in a client. Mm-hmm. And that acts as a starting point for the discussion. So I would anticipate that financial advisors and planners, they're not just simply saying, right, show me what your liquid assets are. Uh, what do you think the value of your house is? What's your plan for retirement? What have you got in the way of protection? It, it, those are all very important practical questions, of course. But additionally, behavioral finances and, and how, do you f- how do you feel about this stuff? Sure. Um, what might be your perspective on the fact that if I encourage you to invest in equity, for example, that that will bring some volatility. In other words, things are going to be a little bit rocky and at times you're going to lose on paper and at times you're going to win on paper. How does that going to make you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's teasing out some of those biases. I think if you have that discussion up front, it's not only better for the client outcome and the suitability, but actually it's about developing trust. And at Schroeder's, have you seen any direct correlation between using behavioural finance and, and how these behaviours have changed? We have in our own investing it would be difficult for me to say, uh, yes, we've we've seen a complete change or transformation in the client base because, of course, don't forget that financial planning client is owned by the financial advisors. Mm-hmm. So that's a relationship which we can hear about, but we won't necessarily influence uh, unless you're talking about a, a client-facing or a consumer-facing part of our business. But uh, yes, certainly from from an investment point of view, understanding behavior and seeing results as a result uh, uh, as a result of a behavioral understanding for our investment returns. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The most obvious would be value equity and uh, the investing over long periods of time. The, going back to what I said before, the opportunity to buy stocks at a cheap price. It takes guts. You know, you can have the largest IQ in the world. Warren Buffett said, if you've got an IQ of 150, you can afford to sell 20 points because you don't need it. <laughs> okay. Actually, what you need more than anything else is courage. Mm-hmm. Courage to take the decisions to buy cheaply. And essentially, that's at the heart of what we do. And we see results over the long term. We have great investment returns in excess of benchmarks after fees as a result of that psychological approach. It's also more subtle as well. It's around teams. And, and let's face it, you know, this is a, this is a human discussion. Mm-hmm. And really investing is about human beings. It's about millions of souls trying to invest in the markets and trying to get themselves a, a, a return. And it, it's no different for our teams. And so we've applied some of what we're starting to learn ar- around behavior to the way we construct teams, okay. um, the way we interact, the way we develop healthy rivalry, uh, the way we develop trust, the way we develop future talent, how we have a strong bench, how we avoid situations, quite frankly, where you've got weekly strategy meetings around investments and you know, you've know you got stacks of people in the room and 50% of whom say nothing. Sure. You know, We want an active contribution. It's a bit like the Max Ringelman effect from 1913, the tug of war study. Okay. Oddly enough, and it's a paradox, the more people you put on the end of the rope, the less they pull. So our <laughs> insights such as that will help us develop what we think is an optimal size of team to make better decisions. And we see that working in the multi-asset space right now. So there are some very real outcomes uh, to taking this kind of approach. Perfect. It's fascinating stuff. And to sort of sort of sum up a little bit, I mean, if if um, the listeners were taking away one crucial bit of information, Ooh, I'm, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm I may have two? it tough now. Okay. You can, all right, you can have two. All right, I'll, give me I'll, four. I'll be gen- four. Uh, no, okay. maybe, Four's you, too many. Let's go with two. Um, if you could give me uh, two... <laughs> Two points, maybe three at a push, or the nuggets that um, our listeners could take away from this today. What, what do you think they would be? I would say when it comes to behavioral finance, one of the most important things is to remind your clients that investing requires patience. Okay. Okay. Like I've said or alluded to a couple of times, this is a long-term game. 
And uh, in the short term, you'll experience a an array of different emotions, negative and positive, but you need to develop the ability to try and look through that and remain as detached as possible with the assistance of your uh, financial planner. And the other thing I'd say is that it's probably worth reminding your clients that mistakes are inevitable. Okay. You know, I think sometimes we can all be a little bit arrogant and to quote another important bias, a little bit overconfident in our, overconfident in our own abilities. Right. So I think it's worth reminding ourselves that mistakes are inevitable along the way. But if you've set up a plan in the right way to start with and you understand your client's behavioral preferences, then the chances are that over time, with a long-term plan, it'll be successful. Okay. Can I add one further thing? Go on. As it's you, Stuart. I don't want to pass that off as my own insight because actually uh, Bruno Schroeder, who I wanted to mention, left us with a couple of relevant legacies here. I think one of the things he said was, we always try and take a 20-year view and uh, wherever possible, treat clients' money as if it were your own. And I think that's pretty good advice. Oh, that is very good advice. And I think you mentioned it earlier, but um, where can our members go for more information? Yes, they, 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 I did mention that particular website. It's throwders.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I advise people to do is simply search on Invest IQ. Okay. Uh, you'll find a test. You'll find plenty of material, lots of videos, educational material to help you understand the subject. But the fun bit definitely is in taking the test. You can take it as a financial intermediary just as easily as your clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll get a, a personal profile as an output and it'll suggest some potential practical steps. So there's there's plenty to take a look at there. That sounds amazing. So thank you very much, uh, Stuart, for coming in today and talking to CII Radio about behavioural finance. Thank you for everyone for joining us on this episode. To find out more about our podcasts, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk slash podcasts or find us on Twitter or at CII Group. So until next time, thank you for listening to CII Radio. Mm-hmm.